0: Welcome to another new podcast from Coatings Pro Magazine. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, news editor for the AMP Publications team. Coatings Pro has its annual concrete supplement coming out in December 2022, both in print and digital form. The concept of the concrete supplement is very similar to what we do each year with our targeted niche supplements for steel, roof coatings, equipment, and surface preparation. The idea with each of these supplements is to really dive deep into that particular market and explore some of the key trends to watch out for over the coming year. Conceptually, what we're trying to do is give a holistic overview of what's going on out in the marketplace and ultimately help you all as our listeners improve your bottom line. For these deep dives and the editorial articles that they ultimately feed, we conduct interviews with Codings industry experts throughout the value chain, from contractor to manufacturer, and all sorts of vendor specialists in between. You can read select quotes from these interviews in the upcoming supplement articles, but for those who want a more comprehensive look, we're going to be playing back the complete interviews through our Codings Pro podcast channel. With that in mind, let's roll the tape. We're joined now by clark brenham of advanced concrete coatings he is the owner of that business in marysville washington clark thanks for joining us how are you
1: i'm good uh thanks for uh having me
0: absolutely i think you're potentially a great resource for our audience and particularly people with an interest in decorative concrete and before we get into some state of the industry type questions i want to begin by letting you introduce yourself to our audience. Just explain your career in the industry and your particular expertise when it comes to decorative concrete.
1: Um, sure. Well, my name is Clark Branham and I've been in this industry for just about 40 years, uh, quite a while. Uh, I started out as a concrete uh, finisher and did that for almost 25 years. Uh, I went on to work with different manufacturers. And currently, I do uh, technical writing and technical advising for Sundeck products um, out of Texas. And recently, I've been um, given the position, it actually doesn't start here for a few more days, uh, with the ASCC, American mm-hmm. Society of Concrete Contractors. I'm actually their new decorative concrete and polishing specialist. Oh, wow. So I'll be working with the uh, CPC. And with the DCC, Decorative Concrete Council. I'm also the chair uh, for ACI 310, which is the, de- the guide to decorative concrete. So I'm still serving, I think, about three more years on that term, uh, trying to publish a new document for decorative concrete. And so that's, and of course, I run uh, advanced concrete coatings in my spare time. So that's, uh, that's my life.
0: Yeah. Um, we can start actually with that committee where you're chair of the Joint ACI-ASCC Committee 310, correct? Right. Okay, so what is that focused on? Take us through some of the things that you all are talking about on that committee and where you see as sort of, I suppose, hot-button issues for the industry in 2022.
1: Well, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, it's it's a pretty broad scope, but it's uh, definitely it's centered on decorative concrete in general. So um, polished concrete is a portion or a section in that, it's called 7.2, it's in uh, post-placement texture, and that's how they categorize polished concrete. And so last year, actually in 2020, we actually published the first ACI specification for polished concrete, and it was very well received in the industry. Uh, And so that's probably the biggest The Polish Concrete Committee is actually a subcommittee of the Decorative Concrete Committee. We create subcommittees to help uh, narrow the focus on some of the work. Uh, We have another committee that's working just on the staining chapter, you know, another committee that just worked to produce a formwork chapter, which uh, presently the guide does not have, but the new... Uh, version that we're going to publish here either later this year or next year probably spring will be uh to include an additional chapter on formwork so that's what's coming and basically aci likes to see documents updated every six years uh let's see i think i have a copy yeah our latest revision was 2019 so we're well within the limits but missing pieces and you know the way our industry changes you need to constantly update these documents to keep them current mm-hmm. and decorative concrete in particular tends to um, move fast and so there's always something new to look at some new material some new process um cutting edge stuff and so our our committee i imagine will probably be more like a four year window for updating mm-hmm. the document and of course i'm going to get this uh next revision published before i step down as chair and then the next person can uh, move it forward from there so
0: and for reference the document we're talking about that's the aci the prc uh 310 correct the guide to decorative concrete that's correct yeah for our audience at coatings pro um I-, I guess number one uh, tell us a little bit about the ways in which it addresses coatings and who are the typical you know users that would benefit from you know reading and understanding the coding scope of it
1: well actually the guide to decorative concrete is centered a little bit more on cast in place okay um and it it covers a lot of sections for that like i said we just we just did a section for formwork that was excluded But it's mostly mostly covering uh, stamping, uh, texturing, polishing, coloring, Mm -hmm. integral colors, concrete dyes, reactive stains, Um, of course, the ground and polished concrete, sandblast stenciling, engraving, scoring. So there's not really a section in here. There's a section in maintenance on coatings and sealers, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's about as far as they go in this. Uh, Yeah, it's different committee work specifically for codings, and part of the governing body for that would be iCry, uh, who creates the um, surface preparation guidelines, right? Mm. Uh, which is it's funny because it used to be 03732, and now it's actually a 310 document. So the, the newest version, I think I have it right here on my desktop. Yeah, the newest version of the iCry document is uh, 310R,
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's uh, it's interesting, but it's uh, their numbering system changed.
0: Yeah,
1: as yeah, of the that, last time that I had purchased a document, anyway.
0: Yeah, we're talking about uh, ICRI there, the International Concrete Repair Institute, right?
1: That's correct.
0: That's what I was thinking. Um, so, what kinds of work does the committee do? You know, aside from just the guide it, overall in terms of uh, decorative coatings. Um, is there anything that you're working on or any points of emphasis when we're talking about coatings in particular?
1: Well, you know, any type of decorative uh, finish needs a coating uh, in the form of a sealer. And so that's where the 310 uh, primarily, although there are a lot of contractors in that uh, committee that do coatings, uh, one of the most popular probably is uh, polished concrete overlays. Um, So there's several companies out there that produce those and a lot of guys that choose to install those um especially if the slab is isn't in a good what we would say you know condition to be polished that's kind of where they draw the line on that so the 310 just does not encompass uh decorative concrete coatings mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit it, it, it's centered more around cast in place concrete okay
0: gotcha so let's step back from just the committee and look at it more broadly because i know from a business perspective you certainly deal with coatings you've been doing this for nearly four decades what's different these days about coatings for decorative concrete relative to you know 20 30 years ago what are some of the technologies that you have in place now for these sealers that really weren't around again 10 20 30 years ago
1: well again uh i think that uh, there's always advancements in the chemistry end of it and that's where i see you see the most changes so there's a lot of the standard finishes some of them have been around for over 50 years right uh that are just really well accepted and broadly used um you know uh spray texture for pool decks has been around since the you know 70s and so that's been a very um you know main staple in the coatings environment uh that's still used today in fact my crew's out putting down a pool deck today um uh, near you know in Edmonds, washington but uh, so they're moving around a lot what i see is i see advancements in the technologies advancements in the polymers Hmm. um but it's funny but the the actual work itself uh it it's still nuts and bolts guys still have to go out and prep the concrete to do it correctly they still have to prime they still have to patch and do repairs create a good surface profile and they still have to install the coatings uh kind of the old-fashioned way uh it hasn't it hasn't gone to uh, any kind of automated sequence at this point um i'm not sure that it ever will uh i think that's one of the things that attracts uh certain individuals uh to this type of work um, it's just not easy. And mm-hmm. uh, if it was, you know, like the old Anna says, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, but it's not easy. It's challenging. Yeah. And uh, you, you deal with weather. You deal with temperatures. Um, one of the things that I've seen is uh, uh, polymers and chemistry that's a little bit more forgiving uh, for different types of weathers. Like I know one manufacturer that uh, we can buy uh, certain epoxies now that are formulated for temperatures so if you have a if you're applicating in really high temperatures you can use a slower setting epoxy Mm -hmm. if you're you know standard temperatures around 70 but also they have a cold uh formulation that allows you to work in lower climates and you know places where it gets around 40 um you should typically be 40 degrees or above for most coatings but The other problem that we run into as a contractor is you wait a really long time for something to set up or get hard Mm -hmm. in those conditions. Um, Where it might take 12 hours at 75 or 80 degrees, it could take 48 hours at 40 degrees. You know, and so they actually have seen some formulations recently in the last couple of years that allow you to choose a temperature range for your application. Uh, And as long as you have that information available um it's very helpful and so that's one of the areas that i've seen some advancement
0: you partially answered my next question already but when we talk about different regions of the country and i guess the world is as, as well clearly the pacific northwest has a very unique climate i was going to ask you if there's anything specific to that region that sort of drives i guess a needs from your clients things that they're working for but also it, Are there things that you have to do differently as an applicator? Just talk if you could about sort of the differences in climate and regions of the country and what that means for a coatings contractor like yourself.
1: Well, if you're gonna work in the Seattle area, you have to become a uh, amateur meteorologist and you have to keep a close eye on the weather. Really once it gets, uh, as long as it's dry and above 40, we can continue to work outside. But once we drop below our temperature range, Uh, whether the weather's nice or not, uh, we pretty much lose our ability to bond coatings to concrete. And so we have to move indoors. And uh, we also do a lot of surface preparation and shot blasting and stuff like that as well. So that keeps us busy. We can do interior floors and covered things. We do some polishing. We do some micro toppings, some interior floors and overlays that can be done in the wintertime, Uh, chip floors, uh, quartz floors, things like that. Um, but during the summer you know you have to manage that uh, that window uh, you have to watch the weather and be aware of it and if there's days where you know it's gonna be wet you you go do something else or you can do prep that day uh, but you can't actually put the coating down that day I mean the, the biggest challenge is you want to make sure that your encoding has really good integrity and is able to bond so you need a certain amount of uh, dwell time uh, for chemically for that material to bond to the surface. And so even in hot weather, that can be challenging. I've seen guys have failures when they were mm. above 100 degrees, and the material literally sets too fast, and it, it can actually set before it's able to bond to the substrate. You know, and when I speak of dwell time, I mean there's a wet material sitting on the surface of the concrete, and it needs to seep in to a certain depth. Uh, for it to create that chemical bond with the substrate uh, via the primer, chemically or mechanically. Uh, But if it flashes and sets too fast, sometimes your primer can dry and that becomes a bond breaker. So there's some pitfalls there with hot weather as well as cold weather. Um, We're actually fairly lucky in Seattle. We have a very, uh, we never really get extreme temperatures uh, above or below. I mean, we can, we can be at 40 most of the winter, but then uh, maybe drop into the 30s at night. But even during the summer in our hottest months, we rarely get above 90. I think we had a couple of 95 degree days this year and that's as hot as it got. Uh, we're looking at temperatures in the 70s and 80s right now, uh, it's, but it's still cold in the morning. We're right at 40 degrees in the morning, but by the time my guys load up the truck and head to a job site, it's usually in the 50s by the time they get there. Mm-hmm. And like I said, by this afternoon, it's gonna be close to 80 degrees, so.
0: Yep. Are there any changes from clients in terms of um, recent changes, that is, in terms of the types of projects they're looking for, the types of technologies, just different demands, anything that you're hearing from the marketplace?
1: Not specifically. What I find, it depends on your market. So if you're working for general contractors or commercial projects, you're liable to get um, in touch with somebody that has a little more education than your residential homeowner. Uh, Residential homeowners just want their concrete to look good again. And um, there seems to be a certain urgency associated with that this time of year. Because right now we're getting kind of a rush with uh, people that planned on getting something done this summer and they're realizing it's almost fall and it's gonna start raining and all of a sudden everybody wants their stuff done right now. And we're booked in through October right now. And so I get you know new customers calling me, asking me if we can come and look at something. And it's like, well, probably won't be able to get to it till the spring anyway. So in Mm -hmm. my mind, there's no rush, but for them it's a real urgency. I don't find that the homeowners in general are what I would say, well-educated as to what's out there and what's available. Hmm. Uh, as a, a decorative concrete um, you know, contractor or installer, you pretty much have to educate your customer. And you know, we have a, there's a certain, we call it front-end work in the industry, right? And so you mm-hmm. have to do a certain amount of front-end work with them to kind of create and help them create an expectation. And that's, that's really the key to success because you don't want to sell them something that won't sure. serve their needs and so you have to kind of think that through you know, you look at their decor and their house and you decide you know what's going to match and look good what's going to be neutral what's not going to go out of style um and try to give them something that's going to be durable and you know bond well and a lot of times you have to deal with the cracking issue and how do we incorporate that into our design somehow and so we have our tricks and our methods for that, but we're a firm believer in the sampling process. So anytime that we're going to do a coding for a customer, we produce a sample that shows our end result before we ever do any work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that way we know we have a higher you know, probability of getting paid <laughs> because <laughs> we can show them what we're going to do before we ever do anything. And, yeah. and we can make sure they're happy with it before we actually go out and do a job,
0: you know. Let's talk about the future and what things might look like over the next 5, 10, 15 years and some of the changes that are potentially coming down the pike. I guess, number one, is there anything that you see coming in regards to changes or trends in the industry? And secondly, what do you see as potentially the reasons for those? For example, we hear a lot about certain environmental trends when it comes to developing certain types of coatings you hear about worker safety being a bigger and bigger emphasis when it comes to actual uh, application practices just how do you think 5 10 15 years from now this industry might be a bit different than it is right now
1: yeah that's a really good question it's a it's a tough one Um, again i think you're going to see a lot of advancements in the chemistry end of our business Uh, you're going to see more uh, improvements in high performance materials uh, we're going to see, of course, uh, materials that are going to be produced, like in the concrete industry right now, one of the big uh, things is the type L cements, right? And so, they're being utilized as an underground limestone to reduce the carbon footprint of concrete in general, basically cement. So, you may see more and more pozzolanic type materials incorporated into cementitious overlays. Uh, one of the big things that we've experienced recently uh, this last year or so has been shortages of materials and it's been not just our industry but it's right it's been widespread across
0: the, the country, supply chain
1: Yeah, everything with our supply chain and the epoxy's got hit pretty hard and i know uh, people that are in the uh, joint filler business that had trouble getting isocyanates and certain types of chemistry Certain type of chemicals just weren't available and so they were really struggling and so I think that there's a term called value engineering, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, and that's where a, a manufacturer looks at a product, looks at the ingredients and the performance and looks to substitute ingredients that can make that product better and or cheaper. And that's true value engineering and so what you might see is these chemists come up with ways that, hey, we can reduce the cement and use more of this or that, but it's going to um, improve the product, not diminish it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would look for is, you know, cutting edge manufacturers that are going to improve the way they do business, improve their offering to the customers, right? Um, and give us something to work with for the future that you know may uh, actually incorporate value engineering to me that's the most innovative thing um, mm-hmm. a manufacturer can do is utilize value engineering to improve the product line mm-hmm. i don't think we're going to see robotic installers out there anytime soon you know yeah you'd be saying alexa install my patio would you that's not that's that's <laughs> not going to happen you know
0: well especially it's, that especially not in decorative that that's one of those things that's very much a niche business and at coatings pro we talk a lot about you know robotic installations and surface prep and the potential and you know there's some markets where that makes sense but decorative is one where it's so customized that that can be really really difficult because you need the human touch on a lot of the projects that you do however the one thing that goes with that of course everybody knows about the looming uh, workforce issues that are coming down the pike, not just for decorative concrete, but really the entire coatings contracting industry and just skilled trades in general. So Mm -hmm. I, I guess as the backdrop being the fact that clearly you need human installers and need human crews to do what you all are doing, what are some of your strategies to make sure that you keep your people, that you have enough people to run the cruise? Just talk about, you know, what you see coming, I guess, with regards to the workforce and how you prioritize having and retaining the right people with your company.
1: Well, that's all good too. I mean, uh, we struggle with, um, with getting a younger guys um, that want to do this type of work and also getting younger guys, you know, uh, to trained to do this type of work. And so to me, it's more of a mentorship type program. That's why uh, a lot of my industry involvement is relegated to that. There's other resources out there. There's groups like CPI, Concrete Preservation Institute, who typically works now with um, transitioning military personnel, people Mm -hmm. that are coming out of the armed forces and looking for a new career and uh, you know they're really well trained and they have a lot of unusual skill sets some of them but um, they work really hard and really well and so I know that they have uh, specifically an internship program where you can take a guy transitioning out of the military and bring him in as an unpaid intern and uh, you actually pay a stipend to CPI for that. But the deal is they're still working for the Department of Defense. So they're still Mm -hmm. working for the DOD and they're working for you and they're under orders. (laughs) So they show up (laughs) on time. And uh, yeah, we looked at a few of the interns with CPI and I've, I've taught with CPI and gone out in their field schools and spent time in the field with these guys. And so usually they go through about a 12 week concrete restoration course. And develop a certain amount of skills and if they like it then they they can opt to join this internship Mm -hmm. so that's one avenue also uh, we sponsor a lot of students with ACI ASCC organizations like this are constantly working with our younger generation Mm -hmm. to bring them into the fold and so the biggest thing a business owner can do in my mind is to attend some of these meetings and conferences and World of Concrete and ASCC conventions and ACI and become a mentor for our next generation, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because we are an aging group and what we need are uh, concrete craftsmen for the future. You mentioned that a lot of it's, you know, labor intense and it is, but it it really takes a certain amount of artistry to do decorative concrete, artistic ability. And it also takes uh, craftsmanship. And that's one thing that I really, I see even with some of the younger guys that they come out and if you just give them a menial laborer's job. But if you put them on the tools and let them carve or shape or texture something, they get excited about that. They see something at the end of the day that they built with their own hands. And I remember years ago starting my career when I actually finished a piece of concrete and it looked good, I got excited about it. I was like, wow, that actually worked, you know. And so there's there's things that you can do to help guys get excited about their trade Mm -hmm. and keep them focused on what they're doing. And, of course, money's part of it. You've got to be able to pay them uh, more now than we used to. Um, There's definitely uh, been a cost increase across the board on everything, and that includes labor. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to kind of reward guys, but you also have to set that expectation that, look, we're – we're willing to pay you more, but you have to show us that you can learn, you know, you always run into guys that really have no interest in learning and they just want to get paid and show up and get paid and go home. But uh, if you can get the guys that have a little bit of a fire in their spirit and really want to learn and develop and become better, you know, then those are the guys that you can put out running a crew and you can pay them more money because they're producing more and doing more. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we try to do. We try to, take our employees and create sort of a mentorship environment where every day we're training, every day. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's really useful and it makes a ton of sense. You mentioned artistry and that's exactly why in particular with decorative concrete, it's just way too niche oriented to see all that much automation because you need that artistry for most of your clients for what they want, you need the human mind to make decisions on the fly for what's gonna make the most sense. Mm
1: Well, it's evaluation, but I think if you do see automation, it will probably come more so on the equipment side of things mm. um, like, you know, remote control grinders or, you know, there's grinders now that have um, autopilot so that you can set up a macro on a remote control and have a grinder do an entire floor without an operator mm-hmm. um, standing there. they just watching and managing hoses and cables. And so surface prep can become somewhat automated. Yeah. Um, but so that those are advances that you'll see more and more, yeah. uh, more rapidly, probably.
0: So much uh, more. So when we talk about technology, much more in surface prep than the actual application.
1: I think so, yeah. Like I say, you'll see some improvements in some of the chemistry and some of the materials. Uh, but the biggest improvements that will be noticeable will probably be on the equipment
0: side. This is my last question, and honestly, it should have been my first, but I'm looking back at my notes and I didn't get to it, so I want to circle back. Um, At Coatings Pro, we talk about concrete, steel, and roof substrates. Those are the big three for us. And of course, this interview is to get background information for our concrete supplement. So just a very broad question, but for a contractor that's doing a concrete job, what are some of the things that are specifically unique to concrete substrates that you have to consider that really make concrete sort of a different beast, its own animal compared to uh, anything else that the coatings contractor might encounter.
1: So you're talking about for putting a a coating on concrete? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, essentially, uh, basically, uh, a guy needs to know a little bit about the chemistry involved in a a piece of concrete. It's It's a living, breathing, growing thing. And by that, I mean, it moves, it cracks, it shrinks, it creeps, it crawls, it curls, it does a lot of things, uh, it, it reacts when it's exposed to harsh environments. Um, you have the potential for corrosion, you have ASR, you have a lot of things to deal with in concrete. So again, attending these uh, conferences and educational seminars that are available at World of Concrete or ASCC, these things really uh, can improve a guy and raise, help him raise the bar uh, and become more aware of the substrate he's working on. You know, I've seen a lot of people go in and want to polish floors and, and they're painters, you know. And sure, they might be great with a, with a roller and a pail, but you know, they don't know anything about painting concrete and how the concrete's going to react to that paint and what's going to bond and what isn't going to bond. and uh, Surface profiles, you know, they're hard to achieve if it's really hard surface concrete, whereas soft concrete, they're almost too easy to achieve. And so you have to modify what you're doing a little bit but that's, that's the biggest thing is learn, learn the animal, learn about concrete, uh, learn what makes it tick, learn about the chemistry and the ingredients and how they react together and how they act over time, the curing, mm-hmm. uh, the curing methods that are used when they place and finish. Uh, there's a lot of things <clears throat> about concrete, um, you know, that can be learned and it takes a little time, but The really good resources are out there. Um, Like again, I say ASCC, ACI, World of Concrete, the seminars, go down that seminar list and pick a few that you want to attend. A nice thing about ASCC and some of those organizations is that if you attend the conference, you can attend every seminar that's there for free. Um, You know, Concrete Decor has always been a good resource as far as their decorative concrete event. Uh, I don't know that they really had one last year, but, you know, that, that's another thing that got slowed down with uh, COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there's always uh, educational resources out there. And I would suggest that guys really go back and learn the basics of concrete if you're new to the business. Uh, because everything you do is based on the concrete. And a lot of times the concrete can cause a failure uh, that's completely unseen unless you get that force to be able to examine a piece of concrete and and recognize a problem when you're looking at it. <clears throat> you know, a, like even a crack, okay, so concrete has a crack, we look at it, right? But when I look at that, I, I try to figure out what caused it to crack and why did it crack there and not everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so there's usually a there's a cause and effect, right? If you see a condition in the concrete, then you need to recognize that uh, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so usually you have to start by addressing that issue uh, before you can possibly have any success with a coating.
0: Makes sense. Folks, that is Clark Branham, owner of Advanced Concrete Coatings out of Marysville, Washington. Clark, thank you so much for the time. Before we let you go, for any listener that may want more information from you or your company, what's the best way they can potentially learn more or get in touch with you?
1: Well, they can always send me an email. Um, at uh, C Branham at ascconline.org or clark at adv-coatings.com
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah email is probably the best way yeah uh, i don't want to give my phone number out it might start ringing up the hook so uh but yeah if they contact me by email i'm i'm more than happy to help them also ascc yeah. has a hotline for decorative concrete they can always reach out
0: and adv codings.com is the website for uh for your business right? That's right. Just making sure. Thank you so much. Folks, this is where we will wrap it for today. For Clark, I'm Ben. If you want more resources from us at CodingsPro, go to codingspromag.com or amp, the website for the Association for Materials Protection and Performance. For Clark Branham, I'm Ben Dubose. Thanks as always for listening, and please come back soon to another new podcast from CodingsPro.
1: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ben.